This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel and Dan Favalli here today. And we spent a lot of time talking about the Warriors because they're ridiculously dominant and the Sixers, who are historically bad again. Uh, but we haven't really given enough attention to the San Antonio Spurs, who are pretty darn good in their own right. Thus far, they're 28-6 and six on the season. Their net rating is actually better than the Warriors. They've coalesced so fast, even with these new pieces like LaMarcus Aldridge and David West in place. And again, it looks like they're right atop the NBA, and if they're not, they're pretty darn close to it. So, Dan, did you expect this to happen this fast? No, and I don't think you – did anyone expect a team potentially to be in the same class as the Warriors, let alone possibly better as the Warriors? And and that's really the biggest surprise. You thought it was going to take – The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Time for them to sort of build their offense again around the Marcus Aldridge. And they, they still kind of struggled early on, but now they're like an offensive juggernaut. And even as they were restructuring their offensive hierarchy, they were one of the best defensive teams ever, pretty much as well. And they did that with LaMarcus Aldridge, who isn't really recognized as a good defender, and yet he comes to San Antonio, and all of a sudden he knows how to move his feet, he knows how to use his length. It's honest to God what this team does from year to year, regardless of whether it's an incumbent player making a jump, an old player performing up to snuff for many years, or welcoming in a big part of your offense as a new piece and, and you don't miss a beat. What this team does on a year-to-year basis is 
unprecedentedly incredible. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, I I thought that they could finish as low as like fourth or fifth in the Western Conference this year, and then be incredibly dangerous come playoff time. But it was it was the fact that they were incorporating Aldridge, which is such a different. He, he's played such a different style than they have over the years. You know, a ball stopping guy who operates from the elbows and really commandeers possessions, and that's not the Spurs style. So there was going to be give and take at the beginning of the year. They were going to try and figure things out. A little pushback from Aldridge, maybe. We didn't know, but that's not what happened. And uh, remember earlier in the season, Greg Popovich was saying that, like, this team still isn't where it needs to be. Like, they're they're only going to get better. And it's true because now they're just world beaters again. I don't even know if we should focus on their offense or their defense first because they're both so good. Well, I think I think you have to focus on their defense first because they rank third in offensive efficiency right now. But you can see the room for improvement there because they have – sort of acquiesce to an extreme with Aldridge where they rank in the bottom five of pace, and that's not really their style. It was in the 90s, but over the last couple of years when they reach peak Spurs popularity, it wasn't just the ball movement. It was that they were running at pretty modest paces, and you're eventually going to want to do that because, you know, what if you don't have Duncan to sort of anchor, help anchor your top-tier defense? That's eventually going to suffer, so you want the offense to run more fluidly and to do so more quickly, but... I mean, you just look at what they're doing regardless. The offense is still efficient, even if it's slower. And the defense, is it, it has to be an all-timer. Like, it has to be up there. It, yeah, I'll, I'll throw some numbers so at you here. I mean, they're, they're allowing 94.5 points per 100 possessions so far, which is almost six ahead of the Celtics and the rest of the league. And that gap is as big as the gap between the Celtics and the Timberwolves, who are 19th in the league. So that's insane. If you adjust for like the league, the league average and kind of make it easier to compare between eras, their adjusted defensive rating is better than anything we've seen since Bill Russell. And we were, we were talking about this before we started recording, but every single member of the Spurs so far, 15 different players have played, every single one of them has, an, has a positive defensive box plus minus, which means they're better than an average defender would be on an average team. I can't verify that that's never happened before, but I feel pretty safe assuming that it hasn't. And you look at the guys who are sort of leading the charge in defensive box plus minus. Like Duncan is right up there, Leonard's third, but you have West who doesn't play much anymore. He's under 20 minutes a night is there. My boy Kyle Anderson's right there tied with Kwai. Even Rasul Butler is doing it. So you just you look at what they're able to do with the bench, which really hasn't been great offensively and just everything is so strong defensively there doesn't appear to be a lineup that you can throw out on the floor that looks like it would be a weak defensive unit your best bet might be throwing Manu Ginobili Parker and Aldridge out at the same time and I don't know the numbers offhand but I'm sure that's happened a bunch already and I'm sure the Spurs are fine yeah of course they're fine because they're the Spurs and if you were voting for defensive player of the year right now I think you'd be totally justified in putting Duncan and Leonard in the top two spots in whatever order you wanted because both of them have been absolutely dominant on that end, and it's it's pretty hard to determine who's more important to the schemes right now because they both are, and they're both so good at their roles. It's amazing to me that Tim Duncan has never won a Defensive Player of the Year award. I think if, um, even though this is sort of your pet peeve, so I'll say, quote, advanced analytics, end quote, were a little gained a little bit more traction you know, before the turn of 2010 or something, I feel like he would have racked up a couple of those honors and maybe would have been more ubiquitous 
with that award than even Dwight Howard because Tim Duncan has always been a phenomenal defender. It's and, great that you just mentioned Dwight because one of my favorite little statistical quirks, uh, for lack of a better word, is that if you compare the block shots of Duncan and Dwight, the values are so totally different throughout their careers because Dwight, I think he blocked a, a bit more uh, per game, per minute throughout his prime than Duncan ever did. But Dwight swats them out of bounds. Duncan always keeps them in bounds and creates transition opportunities with them. So he's actually turning these into possessions for the Spurs and putting them into advantageous positions as opposed to Dwight who's getting credit for a block but just giving another possession to the other team. So when you really like look at those things, the basic numbers that, that, that are put forth, the rebounding totals, the block totals, they've never given Duncan nearly enough credit. And even when you look at it from the perspective of not blocking shots but still protecting the rim, because that's, you know, Duncan still blocks shots, but that's not the foundation of his rim protection. The way he just moves when a, when a guy gets into the lane or pass someone, or the way he just goes straight up with his hands in the air, and he just he's just at a perfect angle. It looks like he's doing a pencil dive or something. He really just is <laughs> Well, you know, he used to swim, there. right? He was, he was on pace to be an Olympic swimmer when he was growing up. So good comparison yes, I there. I do remember hearing a little bit about that. Um, but he's so good, and I could talk about Tim Duncan for just hours, but it's almost crazy to me that, yes, Tim Duncan could be named Defensive Player of the Year Award, but I can go sit here and say that there's no player on the Spurs more important on either end of the floor, defense or offense, than Kawhi Leonard. The dude is just is crazy. Like he he just boggles my mind, and he's so valuable to what the Spurs do. You just look. There was a stat I came up with yesterday. Four players have ever averaged 0.3 win shares per 48 minutes before their 25th birthday: Kareem, LeBron. Michael Jordan, and Kawhi Leonard, but he's still in progress. That's crazy company. Like, just absurd. Yeah, I think there's a serious case to be made that he should be one of the prohibitive favorites for most improved player. And that's coming off a year where he was already an all-star, even if he didn't make the team, and the defensive player of the year. And he's just that much better now. And what happened? You know, the biggest knock on him coming out of San Diego State was that he couldn't shoot. His jumper was broken, nothing worked, and now he's shooting 48%, uh, that was before the last game, uh, 48% from downtown, his shot looks fantastic, he is by far the number one option on that team, and everything runs through him. It's pretty rare that we've seen one player be able to take over possessions in a Greg Popovich offense, but he's given free reign to do that because it works and he always makes the right decisions, and I have no clue how this development came about. No, I said he was going to be a bust when he was drafted. I actually got called out about that on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Someone dug up one of my like post-draft articles from that year, and I listed Kawhi Leonard was like unequivocally going to be a terrible bust. What were the Spurs thinking? Um, I actually had he, him as a bust, too, and as soon as he ended up on the Spurs, I revoked that statement and said he's probably going to work out now. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I can't, looking back, I mean, I was still a teen when I wrote it, or no, I wasn't, but whatever. I was, it's just some pretend. of the things you say when you're younger, you get too intense with it, but what he's really done, I don't know if anyone could have really foresaw it, because he's, he's sort of blossoming into a megastar, and I don't want to say he's going to become bigger than Duncan ever was, but he actually seems like he has that 
even though he has that Spurs mentality, that selfless mentality, that expressionless mentality, he honestly seems like he could dominate the league in a way or gain a level of popularity that Duncan never did to where he becomes perhaps the most notorious Spur ever. I have way too many different responses floating around in my head, so I'll try and run through them real fast. One is that I, I don't remember where I read it, but when the Spurs did trade George Hill to the Pacers to get Kawhi, uh, they were hoping that he would become a, a, a version of Bruce Bowen. I think that he surpassed that expectation. Uh, two is that you just compared Kawhi to Tim Duncan's overall career, and I would argue that Duncan is arguably a top five player in NBA history, and that comparison doesn't sound crazy. And three... <laughs> Three is that it's kind of funny that the Spurs keep managing to collect these players who just don't have personalities but still manage to become so popular because they're just really good at basketball. We've actually sort of reached a new era of Spurs basketball. They can actually go viral now. Remember the knock on them was that they were boring. Um, they're not as aesthetically pleasing now as they once were because their offense is just a little bit differently. But look at Boban Marjanovic. Everyone's in love with him now. He's this seven-foot, three-inch skyscraper. He looks super clumsy, almost like Omir Ashik. But he can shoot jumpers. He protects the rim. He has a great touch around the rim. And he's just gone crazy on the internet. Everyone wants just Boban. He's, he's crazy. and He's only played 126 minutes, but his per 36-minute splits are just out of this world. And we've reached the point where I think we can say, maybe not universally, but almost entirely, everyone expects him to turn into someone really good now just because he's on the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs went from David Robinson to Tim Duncan, and I can only assume that now Duncan is going to be followed by another Hall of Famer, and it's probably going to be Boban. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and you have LaMarcus Aldridge throughout all this. And it doesn't is- even matter because Duncan's never going to retire. Right. I mean, he's already We're- 60, I think. Yeah, we're, decades from now, the elders will tell tales of Tim Duncan, and he'll still be playing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, it's, it's really hard to put this team into words just because they've defied expectations and been slept on and then proved everybody wrong so many times that there's almost this expectation that they're always going to be ridiculously good, and then they still manage to exceed it, and because we're all expecting it, it still feels like they're being slept on, and it's just this vicious cycle that never ends. Oh, for sure. And it's only going to get worse, I can imagine, sometime soon when Duncan and Ginobili actually walk away. You have to think if the Spurs win a title this year, which even with the Warriors, assuming they get healthy, they, the Spurs still have a legitimate shot of doing that. If they win, you know, you could imagine Ginobili and Duncan just walking away. And where do the Spurs go from there? Are they just completely set up now? Because, you know, you have... Kawhi Leonard, you have LaMarcus Aldridge, you have Boban. You have, like, are you ready to reverse your uh, take no. on my boy? No. Uh, no? Never. Kyle Anderson, no? Never. Have you seen what he's done on defense this year? He's been nasty. No, after after he makes his eighth all-star team, I'm still going to call him a bust. Yeah. you're. Oh, wow, only eight? Yeah. I had him in double digits. Eventually. But are, are they just set now? Or is it, and I'm, I don't want to answer my own question, but for me, yes, I think Kawhi Leonard sets them up for long-term contention. But if you really look at some of the rest of the core, like Kwai's younger than Boban, who's a rookie. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, he's, he's 30 now. I think what really sets the Spurs up 
is people know what they can do regardless of how they're doing it, and that's going to make them a crazy popular free agent destination from now on. I think we saw the start of it with Aldridge, and now as we move into this summer, maybe they don't make as uh, many additions because you're probably still going to have Duncan and Ginobili to account for. But leading into 2017 with that stacked free agency class, I mean, even this year, if you're Kevin Durant, how do you not try and take a meeting with the Spurs? I think you did end up answering your own question because you stole everything that I wanted to say. And basically, like, the Spurs are never going to be in bad shape because of the quality of the organization. No matter what the pieces they have, they big-name players are going to want to go there. And look at what happened with David West this year, where he turned down all of the money with his player option in Ten Indiana. Ten-plus million. That's yeah, to go, to go play on a, on a minimum contract, right, for San Antonio, so that he has a chance to win a ring and play in an organization that has the best culture in the NBA. His minutes were almost cut in half, pretty yeah. much, too. And he's like probably that's... totally fine with it. So, oh, I'm sure. So it's really hard to rule anyone out, whether that's Kevin Durant, and I cringe to say this, Al Horford, uh, or any other big name guy. Steph, they're, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> probably not Steph, but they're, I mean, they're just going to keep reloading and, and developing internally. And we constantly see them play these reclamation projects and they don't always work out, you know, like Austin Day. I think that was last year. He didn't really pan out, but yeah, they do, they do turn in the gems every once in a while that just keeps their system going because everybody knows what their role is. They know that they have to fill that role and they know that they're going to be rewarded for filling that role. Can we then play hypothetical pessimist? What is, what would it take to sort of derail this, this team's perpetual development and improvement? I'm thinking the only thing that I could really see is maybe you lose something and I'm just going to assume it's Ettore Messina once Greg Popovich steps down. I don't necessarily think that's imminent because if I'm Aldridge, I probably would have wanted to have heard from Popovich that, hey, I plan on being here for the life of your four-year deal before I sign. But to me, it's, not, and it's crazy that it's not even the players that are on the team or the players who aren't on the team. It's if Greg Popovich steps away... Does the culture get shaken at all? Do they lose something in the coaching tactics? They're the Spurs, so we could just assume no, but you do have to wonder about that. Yeah, we're on the same page again, because that's really the only thing that can shake it up, is when Popovich does decide to retire, however far into the future that may be, they're going to have to hit on the next coaching hire, and they do have Messina waiting in the wings, and even beyond him, Becky Hammond. Um, who has looked yeah, fantastic in, in coaching in summer, summer league, league and has gotten really good reviews. So we don't know how they're going to handle coaching in the NBA. You look at somebody like David Blatt, who had all the acclaim overseas, and he hasn't really brought the same system to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And at times they've seemed to rebel against him a little bit, and there's been constant tension between him and LeBron. So there's, there's no guarantee that someone like Messina or Hammond is going to work out. But even there, like we should have confidence in that happening because they were picked by Pop, because they fit in with this culture and learned within this culture. And he seems to always be good for between one and five games a year where he just gets ejected for the hell of it and then the assistants take over and win anyway. So I, it would be foolish to doubt them, but if, if we're trying to find you know, just sort of an opening to where they, they could enter a decline or, or something really could just rattle the organization, I think it's Pop. I think he's even more of this organization. Then you can argue Tim Duncan. He's definitely the face of the Spurs, but look at what Pop and crew have been able to do with whoever pretty much comes through that door. Yeah, exactly. And, and 
I'm sure that some people are going to try and compare them to the Lakers because the Lakers had so much historical success and counted on showing off their trophies when they were restocking with these big-name free agents. But the, the Lakers never had that same culture that the Spurs had, so I'm, I'm shooting down a straw man here, but I think it's an appropriate one to knock down. Oh, for sure. And the other thing they never had is they never planned for the future as they were trying to win in the present, and the Spurs have done as good a job as anybody. And that. not to I travel mean, too far down this path, but Tim Duncan never took a Kobe contract. No, I mean, and he's been he's been paid a lot in his career, but I think as soon as, and the problem in any workforce, it's not just the NBA, it's not just professional sports, is you're eligible to make more as your performance declines because you're getting older. You know, in an everyday job, it's like that probably too. It's just that it seemed once Duncan reached his peak, like he didn't, seek out that extra money has it's he just, reached his peak <laughs> i don't know he's not he's not 100 years old yet and he's gonna play all these leaves 200 but that, that's what's special about him but it's also it's not even just him i mean i know a lot of people like to point oh they're lucky that tim duncan and manu ginobili took pay cuts for one you can't be lucky that two players that are your incumbent talents took pay cuts and two Kawhi Leonard sort of did it as well. He waited on a max extension, trusting the organization that they were going to take care of him after the fact to afford them additional free agent flexibility. Not every team has that. The Kawhi Leonard route is becoming more popular, but I don't believe that there's another player out there. Let's say Andre Drummond. There's probably some doubt in his mind that the Pistons won't take care of him this summer if he were to get injured, but that the Spurs were able to take a 20-something guy like Kawhi Leonard and have him wait on his biggest payday ever. It's, it's just so Spurs. <laughs> yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit here just because no. – I'm sorry. No. We're going to have to do it anyway. But we, we got to switch gears a little bit because we have to talk about the Spurs versus the Warriors. And I'm not really concerned with who's going to finish the regular season with more victories. But if and when they match up in the Western Conference Finals, barring some unfortunate injury, can they beat the defending champs? I think they can. I do think – Despite what you know, the stats were quick to point out are defensive rating and a net rating. Despite what they say, if we're assuming both teams are at full strength, I would take the Warriors. I don't see a recipe to beating a, the Warriors, and I know a lot of people think the Spurs are sort of putting together the ingredients or, or building the formula to beat the Warriors. There is no formula. If you beat them, it's because you're a better team at doing something entirely different, if that makes sense. Because I said it the other day, the Warriors will destroy you at their game and they'll beat you at yours. And the Spurs, I think, are different enough to contend with them. And hopefully we'll have some of our questions answered when they face each other on January 25th. Hopefully Barnes and Curry are healthy. And hopefully Greg Popovich doesn't decide to bench his entire starting lineup for that game just because. Could you imagine if he did that? We are not going to see the hand displayed from the Spurs on that game. There's no way Pop would do that. You don't think? No. I, I don't know that he'll rest all the starters, but he is not going to pull out all the tricks. I mean, you're, could you imagine if he, if he benched, not even just like anyone, anyone of significance, if he was just like anyone from the starting lineup. Oh, Tim Duncan needs a rest day. I didn't look. I don't think the Spurs are playing on a back-to-back. I'm sure the NBA tried to account for that. But what if it's like a span of like five games in 14 nights and he thinks that's too much for Timmy? No, Wouldn't rest. surprise me. What do you think if you if you're looking at these two teams? 
do you A, think the Spurs are better than the Warriors, but B, and more importantly, do you think they're capable of beating the Warriors in a seven-game series? So to the first question, I think that they've played just as good basketball as the Warriors have, but I think the stats are a little bit misleading because the Warriors have spent so much time benching their starters in the fourth quarter, and we've seen all of the numbers decline pretty significantly when those backups are at the, on the court in blowouts. Um, but the more important question is the second one, and I think that they can, but they won't. Um, I actually don't think this team matches up very well with the Warriors because no matter what style they're playing, there is a significant flaw. If they're playing big, you're going to have to guard Steph with Kawhi right, or Danny Green, uh, but that means that you're going to have to move Tim Duncan off the point guard, and that leaves him guarding probably Clay Thompson, which is a recipe for disaster. Well, yes, and... The- Sort of the downfall might be the Warriors, and it's pretty much with every team. I think some teams will match up better against the small ball death squad. I don't think the Spurs are one of them because you and have to ask yourself, point. Tim Duncan's out. of the, When that lineup's on the floor, Tim Duncan yeah. comes out of the game. LaMarcus Aldridge, I don't think there's he's going to no way. Three. There's no way that he's shutting down Draymond. You, I think you have to go Dia at the five, and you might be able to survive, but not for long stretches at a time. That, that lineup, and I know it hasn't changed because Barnes hasn't played, and now Curry's out. Is outscoring a is the Warriors' most used fourth quarter lineup overall, and then overall they're outscoring opponents by sixty six point five points per one hundred possessions. Yeah, I don't know that the Spurs are athletic enough. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, Kawhi, Danny Green are fantastic athletes, but the Warriors play too fast and have too many skilled athletes at too many positions. I just I don't think that they match up well. No, and it comes back to the point I was trying to make before. We've seen a team force the Warriors to play their opponent's game. The Cavs did it on Christmas where they turned the thing into a half-court slugfest and the Warriors still won because they have the personnel. Their defense hasn't been as good as the Spurs, but I think that's one because people don't realize how important Harrison Barnes is to their defensive potential. And two, it's because they play at such a fast pace. We saw last year that they were able to have the best defense and be the fastest team, but it's not going to be like that every year. That's really and, tough to keep and up. And three, it's because it doesn't need to be. They they right. don't have to prove anything this season, and, the and they're blowing court, teams yeah. Off, yeah. The, off the court with their offense, so they can afford to play a little bit more lax on the defensive end. That's fine yep. right now. For sure, but it's almost, when you talk about it, or voice it at least, it's almost troubling to think, you know what, maybe the Spurs could turn this thing into that slow-paced slugfest, and you still can't say without a doubt that they would be the favorite in that situation because the Warriors can win those types of games. And honestly, I think that's the best way to put it, is that even if the Spurs do make it their style, it's still hard to pick them. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about that because it really, when you're just looking at things in a vacuum, it shows you how great the Warriors are. I hope the Spurs specifically this Spurs team, doesn't become just a blip on the radar like everything else in the NBA has become now because the Warriors. You brought this point up the other day. We might be watching the two best teams in NBA history, if you think about it. And that's, I've used this word a lot today, but freaking crazy. It's, I think it's important to note that it won't, nope. they won't go down in history as such because only one of them is going to win the championship and potentially zero of them. Uh, but what if both of them go seventy three and nine at least. That would be crazy. I think I, that, I'm just raw. It's, it seems like a legitimate possibility. But I mean, no matter what happens in the playoffs, these are going to go down as two of the best teams ever. And it's hard to imagine 
two from the same season, but we've seen it before. If you look back into the end of the 70s, the uh, 1970-71 season, the, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers were both two of the best teams that we've ever seen. It is possible to have that happen even from the same conference, and they might not get the credit that they, they deserve for a while because we are often prisoners of the moment, and if one trounces the other in a seven-game series, then it's going to be easy to, uh, to bash the, the loser. But we, we do need to appreciate both of these teams for just being absolute juggernauts. Do you know what I think it's going to take for this matchup or at least the talent levels of both teams to be fully appreciated? They have to face in the playoffs. Like, it has to happen. And it better freaking happen. It, it better happen. We saw last year. I was hoping for it last year. I didn't expect the Spurs to lose to the Clippers in the first round. And you don't think, the way San Antonio's playing now, you don't imagine that they're going to have that first-round misstep, especially because they're going to be the two-seed as opposed to the six-seed. But do you think if one of these teams, or I guess let's change the question, which team is more likely to lose in the early rounds before facing the other? Or is this, or is the Western Conference Finals, screw it, it's done, set in stone, Spurs-Warriors? It can't be that set in stone yet because there are still other good teams in the West. Could you I mean, name them, please? The Thunder. <laughs> All right, cool. The but... I mean, they're going to win 50-plus games. They're going to be better at the end of the year. They have two of the ten best players in the league. That's a recipe for success in the playoffs. You know, it wouldn't be that insane if they upset one of the two powerhouses come they're, postseason time. If they finish third, though, they would end up – they would be in the Warriors bracket, though, and they're not beating the Warriors. Probably not. And then – I think the Clippers are going to be dangerous, too, if they can make one move or if the bench can come together. All right. Well, they're not going to make a move because their roster, aside from the big three, is, is crud. It's asset crud. Man, that team is confusing. But I, I think you're right in saying that it can't be set in stone. The consensus at this point just needs to be that series better happen. Yeah, right, I mean, You're right. It would be fun to see you know, Durant and the Thunder give it a go together because this might be the last time we see them with Durant entering free agency. But that Western Conference Finals matchup in my head, any, anything less, anything different, if we don't see Warriors-Spurs, is a disappointment. Yeah, I think that it's probably going to change as the season progresses and Kyrie Irving starts playing. But I think there's a compelling case to be made that the four best teams so far, emphasis on so far, have all been in the West, and the, the four that we were just talking about. Um, yes, I think you can make that case. I don't, I only think if we're going to water it down even further, I think there are three legitimate contenders, I, I Spurs, agree. Warriors, and then Cavs, just as you look at it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but now that we have waxed poetic about everything San Antonio, plus some extra stuff, um, it's time for bacon, bacon, where's the bacon? I smell bacon, 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 gotta be bacon, only one thing smells like bacon, that's bacon! I can smell your burning bacon from 2,000 miles away in New York, so we're going to hand the talking stick to you. Interestingly enough, I actually had bacon for breakfast this morning, and the first batch was burnt, uh, but that's not what I'm going to complain There's about. There's no other way to have bacon. Burnt bacon is the best bacon. We'll go with that. But uh, the, what, what is really burning my bacon at the moment is advanced stats and analytics. Not using them, because that's smart, and you should do it. But the fact that they're actually called advanced stats, it's, it's off-putting for people who are trying to get into them. Um, it makes them seem unnecessarily highbrow because the reality of the situation is that not many of them are all that complicated. Sure, things like player efficiency rating, win shares, 
box plus minus, things like that that require a lot of spreadsheets to calculate are complicated. But some of them, you take like block percentage, for example. All you're doing is you're looking at the percentage of shots taken while a player's on the court that he blocked. It's one division. That's it. It's not any more complicated than blocks per game. You're just using a different dividend. So I, I wish that we could drop the label and make them more accessible to people because they are telling. And they do help you understand the game better. And they do further your understanding of what's happening on the court with these players. If you are not using them, you are intentionally limiting what you're taking in. And that's just never a good idea. And I do think that uh, the root of the issue is people can go on television programs and, and complain about analytics and take everything under the umbrella, even though not everything really belongs there. For sure. But I figure someone like you would say that, you know, someone who develops these metrics to fit their convenient narrative, like you're, you're probably the worst NBA writer alive. Yeah, I've, Sorry, I've, I've just, been told that was, on Twitter a couple times. I was just quoting what I saw on Twitter. No, I totally agree with you. The, the one thing I would question is, can they be any more accessible at this point? You don't need subscriptions to even get synergy stats yeah. anymore. Like, yeah, there are writers that have access to NBA teams numbers or specific synergy numbers that not everyone can. But, I mean, NBA.com slash stats, it, it goes in depth. You have the player tracking data there. The bigger issue to me is what you said at the end. People are watching some of these guys uh, on TV, cough, Mike Wilbon, cough, and they're pretty much just, you know, they make it seem like, one, you have to be in the locker room to actually get a pulse on the team. And two, that stats aren't as important as stories, which it make absolutely no sense. And I really respect, and not just because I like advanced analytics, I really do respect the guys on TV now who you hear them citing things like points per 100 possessions or, or block percentage. It, it, it's just it's some people are getting with it and others need to come along faster. Maybe it's what you said. Do we change the name to something else and maybe that makes these less scary? See, the, the funny thing to me, though, is that there's always an evolution. And if you go look at old box scores, you don't even see a lot of the stuff that has become commonplace today. Uh, you, you made this point before we started recording that effective field goal percentage, all it is is incorporating three-pointers into field goal percentage because those shots are worth an additional point, isn't even listed under the advanced statistics on basketball reference. It's up there with the normal ones. But you know, back in the day, even something like looking at per-game stats was a new frontier. And the sport evolves. The way we look at it evolves. And it's important to keep up with the times, not necessarily to the point that you are that you're intimately familiar with all of the overarching one-number catch-all metrics, but a lot of this stuff is easy to find, it's easy to understand, and it's a lot more telling than the basic version. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And people just don't, some people don't see the value in it or don't, don't see as much value in it as they really should. I and think that's the, the bigger problem. The best example right now is probably field goal percentage because that is ultimately pretty meaningless because we have better numbers. You know, field goal percentage doesn't incorporate how often you're getting to the free throw line and making your free throws. It doesn't differentiate between twos and threes. If two guys have a 50 field goal percentage, one takes all twos and one takes all threes, who's, who's the more efficient scorer? I mean, that's, that's a pretty, pretty obvious yeah. answer, but there's no differentiation. And the thing is, there can be 
because we have effective field goal percentage. It's easy to calculate. It's easy to find. And true shooting percentage is even better than that. Again, easy to find, easy to calculate. So there needs to be a shift, not in presentation at this point, but just in mentality. Uh, I totally agree with you. But ladies and gentlemen, that was Adam Frommel with the burnt bacon. If you would like to talk to him more about these fancy, difficult to understand, totally inaccessible advanced analytics, you can get at him on Twitter. He is at Frommel09. That's F-R-O-M-A-L-0-9. Andy is not with us today. He made up some excuse about having some family obligations. He clearly doesn't understand how important hardware Knox is. Anyhow, if you want to get at him on Twitter and yell at him for his absence, you can find him at Andrew D. Bailey. I myself am at Dan Favalli, that's F-A-V-A-L-E, and you can get at all of us on the at Hardwood Knox Twitter account. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and until next time. Shout out, Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on root metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.